I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Zilks and I'm joined by the every other league in the world to my championship. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, what a final day that was. Only the playoffs needed sorting out, but despite that, it was still exhilarating, wasn't it? It was up and down. It was... I mean, I was making so many funny noises on my sofa, just watching <laughs> everything happen. The Millwall game was ridiculous. The Sunderland game was, was, was brilliant. Even the West Bromham game had so much drama. There was just so much going on at the same time. And that's exactly why this sort of scenario is, is what we needed. It's a shame that um, you know the relegation was decided and the automatics, but I don't think I could have taken any more. I honestly don't think I could have. It was It was absolutely bonkers. Yeah, it would have really tested the old heart, wouldn't it? And I imagine your neighbours would have been very concerned about some of the noises you were making from next door. But yeah, it, I mean, in recent years in the Championship, in the final day, we've only had kind of the one thing that needed sorting out. But still, each season it manages to produce such drama, doesn't it? We haven't had, in the time that we've been doing the podcast anyway, we haven't had a normal final day yet, have we? Where team goes ahead early on, that's it. And that's that's the day sorted. It's it is just constantly ever changing, isn't it? Well, yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm thinking back to the reason why I sniggered. I, I'm, I'm thinking back to that Swansea Forest scenario where oh. Swansea overtook Forest on the last day and in, in the I last mean, that, game that was of the just season. Mental, wasn't it? But that's exactly what happens. It's exactly what this scenario brings up. It's that nothing to lose mentality, and that's something I'm going to bring up throughout this episode is that a lot of teams had that mentality which brought along so much chaos which brought along so much drama and thus brought along so much entertainment and that's why the championship is a fantastic effing league it's brilliant it damn well is well welcome to the number one championship podcast the second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are yes we're going to talk about all the action from the final day we'll also do a preview of the playoffs which are now on our doorstep they're about to knock on the door and the bloody here to cause even more drama in me and justin's lives also talk about some of the news from the past few days and then finish off at lee camps championship tennis right at the end so millwall have missed out on the playoffs after throwing away a two-goal lead against Blackburn. They were 3-1 up, but Blackburn came back to win 4-3. Millwall needed to win to secure a playoff place. It was just a crazy game, Justin. It was ridiculous. I, I, I thought the first half was, I wouldn't say fairly open, but Millwall controlled the most of it. Um, and they were, they were really good, Millwall, in the first half. And that kept me a lot of... Uh, confidence going into the second half that they would be able to see it through and I think Gary Rowett's remit in the second half was to keep things 
keep things tight and, and, and manage the transitions to, to basically counter-attack Blackburn. But Blackburn switched switched it up massively. They they really turned on the, um, I don't know, the, the, the aggression meter. I'm trying to think of a, a metaphor. I can't because it was just, there's nothing that really compares to it. And Millwall couldn't cope. It was just an absolutely bonkers scenario. And, you know, the, the defending on display from both sides was quite horrific I would have been concerned <laughs> would have been concerned for both teams going into the playoffs had it happened had it worked out for either of them but yeah just yeah surprising collapse from Millwall it's the first time they've conceded four goals in I don't know how many games and you know what a what a game to do it it was like a basketball match wasn't it Millwall were very comfortable at half time they were a much better team in the first half and then the second half was just Chaos. It, it was played at 100 miles per hour. It was non-stop. Chance after chance for both teams. Mill didn't control the game at all. They could have seen it out, killed the game off. They did the exact opposite. It was terrible game management on their behalf. Some of the worst I think I've ever seen, considering the stakes. And when the game was as open as it was, Blackburn were always going to have a chance of getting back into it. And they were great. They couldn't have done any more and should be very happy with their performance. But Mill, they completely bottled it. I don't use that phrase lightly and I don't like the term particularly, but they have. With four games remaining, they had a three-point cushion inside the top six and had to play Birmingham, who had nothing to play for, Blackpool and Wigan, who were relegated, and then Blackburn on the final day. They lost three out of those four games. And... Then you're 3-1 up against a side who had only won three points from losing positions all season, were winless since March. How have they thrown this away? <laughs> Gary Rara even admitted they threw it away after the game. It's, it's a complete capitulation on their behalf. I mean, they had one foot in the playoffs twice. And it, it, in fact, it's not even just one foot. They had their, half their body in there twice. And they've fallen out on both occasions. There's no other way to describe it. They've bottled it. It's it's hard to disagree. Um, you know, it's it's very direct, a very direct way of putting it. But unfortunately, Millwall have been in that top six. I want to say for two thirds of the season, at the very least, they've yeah. been, you know, they they've been up there for the duration of the campaign. So for them to fall out on the last day, for them to have their destiny as it is in their hands, um, and to to throw it away on several occasions, yeah, it, it really is it really comes under the term bottling it and it's unfortunate but as you say those those games against Wigan and Birmingham where they really should have picked up results they dominated against Birmingham for example had 20 shots but really struggled to, to make an impact it's just those those types of scenarios they, they, they really struggle and probably probably highlights a number of areas that they need to improve upon in the summer in terms of personnel Zian Fleming for example in this game thought it was largely very absent apart from set pieces now, I'm not criticising Fleming because he's been good this season, but you need big game players for these scenarios. So he's got to step up and, and go again for next season because Millwall are going to be up there again. And then you need a controller type player again in the midfield so they can control those games where so, they, so it doesn't get away from them. You know, Someone like Tyler Morton, who obviously evidently was on loan at Blackburn this season, he'd be a good addition should he become available. But just that type of player really would, really would help Millwall going forwards. 
Blackburn finished seventh with this result. They were the outsiders for the playoffs heading into the final day. Needed to win and results go their way. So they did all they could and can count themselves quite unlucky, really, because it was just Sunderland who stood in their way. Alas, I've been saying all season Blackburn won't finish in the playoffs. Hazar, I was right. Just. Um, it was always going to be difficult for Blackburn to hold on to a top six place when the play, the way that they play, they weren't very productive going forwards and were conceding plenty of shots. Only four teams have had fewer shots than them this season. The game management has been a massive concern of mine as well. The win against Millwall is only the fourth time this season. They've won points from a losing position. That is an awful record for a top side. And in the last couple of months, they've given away quite a few leads as well. So I never thought they would finish in the top six. And I think they've actually finished quite a bit higher in the table than they deserve to be because they're more of a mid-table side in my eyes. But look, let's put this all to bed. It's been an ongoing thing all year, hasn't it? A seventh place finish is a brilliant season for Blackburn. It's a young team. It's not been put together on a huge budget. So they've done really well. And I don't have an agenda against Blackburn. I actually like them as a football club. And it would be genuinely great to see them back in the Premier League at some point in the near future. They've got some very talented young players who I really like as well. So hopefully could we, we can knock this ongoing feud between myself and Blackburn fans on the head and move on. And I was right. They didn't finish in the playoffs and they did drop off. Let's see how they do next season. <laughs> OK, right. I mean, drop off and, and finishing outside the playoffs is, is two different things for starters. I'm going to argue that. Um, I mean, they, they were third in... Uh, well, just January, December time. So it has been a drop off in that sense. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. But I think um, I think this game in isolation, you got to praise them. They, they were they were fantastic. And if they can adopt some of those principles they they, they played with against Millwall, they will be an exciting side next season. Um, they've got the potential to do it. I look at the the players that were brought in, like Ryan Hedges, Sammy Schmodix. They can play a high press. I don't want to see Blackburn playing a slow possession-based game next season. This team's built to play a high press and I hope I see it more often next season because the Millwall game shows shows as evidence that they, they can be crowd-pleasers, if that makes sense. Justin, you'll throw me £20. Yeah. Um, <laughs> interestingly, and this is very interesting, young Dole Thomason spoke about his future after the game. He said, at the moment, I'm thinking about today. I'm out of energy right now. I have two years left on my contract I don't want to speculate. Doesn't sound promising. And I never really pictured him going out the exit door at Blackburn this summer. But that doesn't sound like it's the most convincing um, thing to say that he's going to be there next season. But we'll wait and see on that one. Well, Sunderland are the side to have benefited from Millwall's capitulation. They thumped Preston 3-0. And Sunderland were excellent here in the second half. They just blew Preston away. What a goal by Ahmad Diallo. That was a real beauty. There's been a lot of talk on Twitter about whether he's the best loan ever, period. Which, I mean, it's mainly from accounts which have probably watched about five seconds of championship football this season. But are you buying that, Justin? I don't trapped was... Was he on loan at QPR? No, he wasn't. He signed permanently. He was initially, he was on... but he wasn't during that season. Yeah, he was on loan and he signed permanently, which is... Which is you know, Record-breaking season followed that after. I, I don't think he's the best loan signing ever. You, you, I mean, Bice, I'm talking about Harry Wilson, Mason Mount there. They're too good 
two good options there. I think it's one of those debates that will that will rage on throughout the summer. Certainly worth a you know five minute segment on later on in the summer if there's space for it. But um, he's been brilliant this season. He showed again why he's why he's a fantastic been a fantastic loan signing for for Sunderland this summer because that goal was just absolutely unreal. Yeah, I think a lot of people are getting very carried away with themselves. He's a wonderful player, a brilliant talent, but best loan ever. I mean, I think some people have lost their minds. Is he the best loan signing of the season? You can find out what we think in the Second Tier <laughs> Awards on Thursday. Well, Sunderland have become the first newly promoted side to make the playoffs in eight years. Tony Mowbray has done a stunning job to even have a newly promoted side competing for the playoffs is very impressive. To actually get there is a phenomenal achievement. I don't care how big the club is. Newly promoted sides have really struggled in recent years, haven't they? In the time we've been doing the podcast, Justin, the highest a newly promoted side has finished was Coventry two seasons ago, and they finished 16th. So this deserves a lot of credit this side deserves so much credit for getting there. And to do it the way they have is exceptional. A young side playing arguably the best football in the league is brilliant. And obviously they shouldn't just settle for getting a playoff place. They should try and actually get bloody promoted. But well done to Sunderland and Tony Mary Bray. He's done an incredible job, hasn't he? He has. And I know I've said that he underachieved, but I think I was focusing too too much on their their home form being very very ordinary um so you just i think my mind cast to to what could have been had it been even sort of mid table or just top half or they they'd been well well within the top 6 and if you consider the fact that if Ross Stewart was fit throughout the season they could have even probably been automatic contenders because and Dan Ballard as well um because missing those key players for as long as Sunderland have is going to have a massive impact and for Tony Mowbray to deliver a top 6 finish on and what I mean, they have got a decent budget, but to to deliver a top six finish after coming into the club late in the uh, summer and dealing with the amount of injuries that they've had and having a very young squad, I think it's a remarkable achievement. And there's a very good structure at Sunderland, and they're going in the right direction. Whether or not promotions achieved this season, they're an exciting team as well, and that's that's what we want to see. And, yeah, long may it continue, and hopefully they can replicate some of those performances in the playoffs because they can quite they can become quite cagey. And I hope that they don't. I hope that they ensure the shackle is well and truly off. So, just to make it absolutely clear for any any doubters out there, are you completely scrapping the whole Tony Mowbray underachieving thing? Unlike you, I'm willing to accept that I'm wrong. So I will accept I that I'm wrong. wrong. Rovers falling away. I, I believe away. I. I can quote you and say that you suggested they might finish in the bottom half, which no, didn't happen. No, I said I could quite easily see them finish in the bottom half. I didn't say they would. That's a very okay. different thing. Okay, righto, righto. But I'll happily accept Mowbray didn't underachieve. Home form has been meh this season, but nonetheless, Mowbray is very much overachieved. I'll, I'll happily concede that now. It's quite a swing in the old uh, <laughs> Justin Peach achieving meter isn't it but there you go Preston and finished 12th I mean of course they have the most mid table in the world finish 12th right bang in the middle of the table Coventry have also secured their playoff place after a one all draw with Middlesbrough Coventry just needed to avoid defeat to ensure they got there and actually with the, the way results have gone they would have ended up in the top six even if they lost but Coventry City 
in the playoffs. Who would have thought after 15 games when they were in the relegation zone? And Justin, you've been banging on about Mark Robbins and the unbelievable job that he's done. Time to get on your soapbox again, boy. I I, I can't bang enough. It's ridiculous that the suggestion of Mark Robbins not being a top three manager in this league isn't a thing. He's just unreal. And to be able to put together a squad that is capable of performing um, the way Coventry do is, is fantastic. But to be able to put to a squad that is, you know, the personalities, the the, um, the the squad harmony, putting that together and being able to sustain it through what Coventry have suffered this season, again, is just staggering. It's just absolutely staggering. The man's achieved so much in his time at Coventry. Um, and this is just, I don't think this is the, the, the crown and glory yet. I think there's more to come from Robbins and Coventry should it continue after this season, wherever they end up. Um, it's he's, he's an unreal coach. He's, he plays, he's able to mix his systems as well because at the moment, without the likes of Sheaf, O'Hare, Palmer, they're very much a counter-attacking team. You look at this Middlesbrough game in isolation, they had 30% possession. They will want to hit teams on the break, but you had those flair plays in they become a, a very good team in possession as well. So he's able to mix his systems. I don't think there's a more fluid manager. I don't think there's a more, I don't think there's a manager in the league that is capable of achieving what Mark Robbins has done with this club. It's just, yeah, absolutely monumental. Yeah, when I said before that I was surprised he was nominated for manager of the year, at the time they were sat ninth. Now they're in the playoffs. I can understand that. I mean, it's an incredible job he's done and continuing to do actually in Insit because it's been going for a number of seasons now, and I agree with you, Justin. I think this is just another highlight in the long journey that Coventry are, you know, on with Mark Robbins. And I think even at one point earlier in the season, there was talk about him leaving Coventry, wasn't there? When there was the whole fiasco with the pitch, talk of, you know, them potentially being kicked out of the Coventry Building Society arena again. So, yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster season for them, Ante, but it's good that they've had a good ending. Hopefully, it may get even better. Who knows? In a strange twist, Coventry will be meeting Middlesbrough again in the playoffs. So, this was the first of three games between these two in the space of nine days. Can't recall that happening before, but I might be wrong. Bit of a warm up game, I suppose, for these two, won't it? Just two wins from eight. For Middlesbrough, not great form for the playoffs. That is it. We'll discuss more of that shortly in our playoff preview. Well, with Sunderland's win, it was very unlikely West Brom would finish in the playoffs, but they didn't win anyway. They lost 3-2 to Swansea with Joel Pirro scoring a 93rd minute winner. Very disappointing end to the season for them and kind of sums it all up that one of the last kicks of the season saw them concede. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a, a kick in the teeth for West Brom. It's, it's been a strange old season for them, hasn't it? Because... The, the form under Steve Bruce was poor. Performances weren't terrible. They were okay. They're certainly not justifying the results they were getting, but nonetheless, it was a bad choice to, to, to continue with Steve Bruce. And now I think that's ultimately cost them a place in the top six this season. I think if Corbyn was in charge for longer or someone else was in charge for longer, I think they would certainly be a top six team. But there are a lot of problems at West Brom that need sorting not least off the field, on the field, there are issues as well. Um, I think they, they've grown to have a very ordinary squad. They have a very much a top-half team squad. You know, the Premier League money has not been invested very well. Um, and this game, I think, showed that you're looking at um, not being able to have a, a, you know, a fully-fledged striker. Daryl DK, I know, has been injured, but he spent the season trying to get fit. There's not been a loan signing come in. Was Jordan Hugel here this season? Was that this season? No, that was last no, season. No. Yeah, yes. Uh, 
it's all merging into one. Um, and uh, yeah, not having a loan signing to, to back up DK and Thomas Asante has made a step up from from league, uh, league two. Um, he's done okay, but to not have a player in double figure goals this season is what has cost West Brom. Not to have a clinical goal scorer or clinical forwards has really cost them, and I think they need to have a big shuffle in the summer. They're probably going to have a big shuffle in the summer where they go from here. I, it's really difficult to um, to predict. I'm not sure I agree that they've got a mid-table team. Not mid-table, just, saying... just an ordinary competitive top half team. I don't I'm not think sure it's... you're going to agree on that. I think it's I think it's a top six squad. It's just. When you don't have a striker, that's not a good start. And they have also been battered by injuries. Yeah, but injuries. also the mismanagement by Steve Bruce earlier in the season <laughs> is really costing because they had more than a false start, didn't they? But, I mean, you look at Jed Wallace, John Swift, Okaya Kuzlu, Dara O'Shea. These are players who possibly should be playing in the Premier League. It's a very good squad. It's just it's had plenty of problems along the way. But it has been a bad season on and off the pitch at West Brom. They need Premier League football in the near future just to survive financially, really. Unfortunately, it feels as if this team is quite far off Premier League football. We'll be interested to see what they do over the summer. Luke Kundal scored for Swansea. He's on loan from Wolves, so he'd have enjoyed that. Remarkably, Swansea have finished on the same number of points as West Brom. Absolutely blows my mind how high up the table Swansea are. They finished 10th and I'm not really sure how. Let's move on to the games which didn't have much on the line then apart from positions in the table. Luton v Hull ended goalless. Luton, Luton rested a number of players for this one as they prepare for the playoffs. Very good position for them to be in. Into it. Middlesbrough could have done the same but didn't which is good because Coventry obviously still have a lot to play for. Wouldn't have been very fair for Borough to put out a second string side, would it? But Luton will be able to head into the playoffs with a fresh team, Justin. Yeah, it's always a big bonus. I always, it's one of those things that sometimes can have a bit of a catch twenty two situation where you rest too many players and they lose momentum that they've garnered over the last couple of weeks during in that run up to the to the final few games uh, and into the playoffs. But I think to be able to to rest players, Luton were decimated by injuries this time last season going into the playoffs. So to have a a near fully fit squad is a, a very good position to be in. And even their sec, I say a second string, the rotated players that came in against Hull, a very uh, you know, they're a very good group of players. Look at Luke Berry for example; he's got a lot of quality. And he scored from the halfway line, which would have been an interesting competition for for their rivals uh, and their goal of the season award. Um, but again, we saw the, the best of Luton here. They, they were solid. They kept a clean sheet, um, and they go in with with some positive momentum into a tough a tough fixture against Sunderland. They're going to pull a Tony Mowbray here. They're playing Sunderland, not in Coventry. Yep. Again, yeah, it's it's yeah a good place to be for them. I think. Hull have finished the season in fifteenth, which is quite good, isn't it? They were in danger of going down at one point, and. It's really hard to predict how they do this season before it started. So 15th is fairly good. Burnley finished off the season in style. They beat Cardiff 3-0. It means Burnley have become just the fourth team in championship history to have won more than 100 points in a season, which is some achievement, Justin. I think it's worthy of them putting them in the, in the top three, top four bracket of, of teams still played in the championship. They, they've been fantastic and it's it's fitting that the end on you know an emphatic win. It's fitting that Ashley Barnes scores in this game in what is his last game as well for the club. And I think it's fitting that they, they finish with, with over 100 points because I think if you can do that, you really are in contention for being one of the best teams ever to have graced a league. You know, Plymouth did it for... Plymouth did it in League One. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. That level of consistency is unheard of. You, you, you've seen it with the, the stats and the numbers, the amount of teams that have got over 100 points. So, yeah, fantastic way to finish the season and all credit to Vincent Company and, and Burnley. They've deserved it. 
Yeah, they definitely have. And I think when it comes to best team ever, I think for me, a big contributing factor is the style in which they've yeah. done it. And Burnley, Burnley's football is just exceptional. It's really disappointing that they dropped off quite a bit in the final few games of the season because otherwise that points record would have been in some serious danger, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they lifted the championship trophy off this game. So a very enjoyable afternoon for Burnley fans. Quite sad that we won't be able to watch this team week out, week in, in the championship. Now it's been a pleasure covering them this season and I continue to think they're the best side at this level. I'm very excited to see how they do in the Premier League because I reckon they can pull up a few trees. The three teams before Burnley who all managed to get over 100 points, they all finished 14th or above. So I see no reason why they can't finish in the top half. I mean, look at Fulham That's yeah. this season. I think they're in the top half now. I think I'm right in saying that they've been around there all season. I think Burnley were a better side than them. So we'll wait and see recruitment will be important over the summer admittedly Cardiff have finished 21st they would have gone down had it not been for Reading's points deduction people will point out that it doesn't matter because Reading got a points deduction and I get that but it says a lot about how poor Cardiff have been and they've really got away with one haven't they I I guess they have yeah the the mismanagement at the top in the managerial appointments has been poor I I disagree to some extent I did think they obviously needed the amount of players coming last summer um but it just feels like there was too many players in certain positions. Like uh, they brought in Rinamotta, they brought in um, uh, Ebu Adams, they brought in too many central midfields from Insoys. One of the areas of the squad needed focusing on, um, such as creativity, that's been the key, the key killer. Because I don't think defensively they've been too poor. They've been okay. Um, it's just going forwards, they've been an absolute disaster. One of the worst teams I think I can remember in in Championship history. So, yeah, it's one of those that you just got to put to bed and, and hope that the club get it right this summer. And if they can get the Mushi to sign a new deal, um, then that's the first step in going in the right direction for them. Well, I've been saying all season this squad's not very good. The recruitment last summer was definitely quantity over quality. And I think that's been shown in the fact that Cardiff would have gone down if it wasn't for Reading's points deduction. And also when you combine the squad with the fact that they've gone through three managers in a season, it's not good, is it? So without a doubt, they've got away with one this season. And over the course of the past year, they probably have been one of the three worst teams in the division. If it wasn't for the signing off, sorry, Cabot, they probably would have gone down even with Reading's points deduction. He he has really saved their season because he scored some important goals and scoring goals has been a problem all season for them, hasn't it? So I'm convinced they'll be in trouble again next season. I've got no doubt about that. There's huge problems on and off the pitch. And you look at who's coming up from League One, Two very good teams and possibly even a third if Chef Wednesday get promoted through the playoffs. I mean, even Barnsley or Bolton have been very good, haven't they? Um, and then you look at the other teams who have been down there with Cardiff this season. Look at Huddersfield and Birmingham. They've both got new owners, so maybe they'll hopefully move in the right direction. Cardiff, meanwhile, are just kind of languishing and I can't see them going in a different direction to the one they've been on. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about a win for Huddersfield, a draw between Wigan and Rotherham, and then we'll also preview the playoffs.
Welcome back to the second tier podcast. So it's Huddersfield 2, Reading 0. This could have been a straight shootout to survive relegation, but it wasn't to be, sadly. There was a nice moment here where the Huddersfield fans applauded the Reading supporters who travelled to Yorkshire despite their side's relegation. And as we were just saying before the break, Justin, Reading would have stayed up if it wasn't for the points deduction, which is... A real tough one to take into, I suppose, for supporters. Ultimately, though, their form in the second half of the season has been shocking, hasn't it? It perhaps got overshadowed a bit by QPR's collapse, but Reading's is actually worse. 14 points won in 2023. Haven't won a game since February and just two victories this calendar year. I'm not really sure what the road back is going to be like for Reading. I think there's going to be probably a few more bumps in the road along the way. According to reports, Noel Hunt isn't under consideration for the full-time Reading job. Right decision for you, Justin? I, th- I think so. Um, you don't want to be put in a scenario where you're half committed to a manager going into a League One season where the expectation from the supporters and from the outside is you're going to compete for promotion. So going in for a manager who has experience of, of promotion from League One is probably a, a better route or, or a safer route. Um, and if they need to make a change, then they need to make a change. But I think Noel Hunt, it's, it's, it's probably harsh, but have we seen enough from Reading over the last four games for Noel Hunt to justifiably earn the, earn the job? I don't think we have. Not his fault. The squad is poor. That being said, you want an experienced man to lead the, the new area, putting together a new squad. And um, aligning with Mark Bowen's uh, yeah, future plans for the club. Yeah, I think Reading could play better since Noel Hunt has come in. But has he done enough to earn the job? I think that, that would be a big stretch for them to say that. So I think it's probably the right, right decision. He's a very inexperienced manager and Reading will be looking to bounce back at the first time of asking. Chris Wilder is reportedly in the frame, which interesting be surprised if that happened if I'm being honest meanwhile Huddersfield have finished 18th how the hell has that happened (laughs) have there really been six worst teams than Huddersfield this season I'm not sure about that they they should be better next season with their new owner though I can't believe they've finished 18th go back to Danny Schofield and Mark Fotheringham that that was that was poor to watch so yeah over the course of the season I'm not sure that 18th justifies their place Wigan v Rotherham ended goalless Wigan put out a strange team for this one several regular first team players were absent which may have been linked to the late payment of wages again more on that in the news James McLean did play despite having not been paid so far so fair play to him there were moments of protests but that didn't happen as far as I'm aware at this game as well and it was just unsurprisingly pretty dull really Wigan finished the season bottom of the table although they would be second bottom if it wasn't for their points deduction Red, uh, Rotherham 19th their highest league finish in nearly two decades so well done them Sheffield United ended the season with a 2-1 win away at Birmingham Sheffield United have won eight of their last 10 league games that's called ending the season in style isn't it they should have won this game by more really 2-1 is definitely flattering for Birmingham going to be a shame not being able to watch Ilman and die in the championship anymore he's he, I'm not sure there's any individual who's been exciting as he has this season Birmingham finished 17th four losses from their last five games 
Thank God they had that green patch in March, otherwise they could have been in a bit of a pickle, couldn't they? A Morgan Rogers goal saw Blackpool in their season with a win. They beat Norwich 1-0. A real summary of how miserable a season it's been for Norwich, beaten by a relegated side at home on the final day. They've won just one of their final 11 games and have actually finished in the bottom half. A big summer ahead for them. And I think I'd be surprised if we see David Wagner in the dugout there next season. I've got to say. Let's be positive though, Justin. This was Timmy Pukki's last game for Norwich. Let's pay tribute to a Norwich and Championship legend, Justin. What a player he has been. Fantastic. I mean, it's it's, it's quite strange that he's, he's he came in during Norwich's best spell. And he's and he's and he's gone out on that on their worst spell. Um, so you 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 argue his timing is right, but he's certainly one of the best finishers I've seen at Championship level. I don't think there's anybody who's been more efficient than him. And that partnership with Emi Buendia, that link up with him is just abs. Yeah, it's just fantastic. It was unreal. Um, I don't think you 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 see a more fruitful partnership between playmaker and forward. Pukki's runs were instinctive. They were between the the centre half and the full back, and his finishes were almost the same almost every time. Um, because I mean, it was good coaching from Farker, but also again telepathic link up play between Buendia and Pukki. Yeah, he's he's certainly one of the best best forwards I've seen, and he's he's not one of those type of forwards who gets ball runs with it. His movement is amongst the best. His finishing is amongst the best. He's just a he's just a goal scorer, and um, yeah, it's a shame to see him go. But happy to happy to celebrate him the way we have. He's, 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 yeah, I'd say he's the best free transfer in Championship history. There may be someone I'm forgetting about, but I struggle to see how anyone else could top what he's done. Twenty nine and twenty six goals in his first two Championship seasons. They are phenomenal tallies, aren't they? And some players will score that many goals in a one off season, but to do it more than once is incredible he also got double figures twice in the Premier League lest we forget and Norwich were awful in both seasons in the top flight he played his part though he did his bit and the man has just been a clinical goal scorer for many years and it's very difficult to find these players let alone on a free transfer also picked up plenty of assists in that time too so what a player he's been and I'm sure he'll be welcome back to Norwich with open arms over the, whatever he does with his career next. Chris Wilder just got his third win as Watford boss. They beat Stoke 2-0. A good result for him. Looks incredibly unlikely that would be there next season, mind you. They have finished 11th, better than bottom half, which is where they look like they may end up not too long ago. 11th is still quite bad, though, isn't it, comparing to the pre-season expectations. Stoke have finished the season with just two points from the final seven games. Alex Neal struggling at Stoke while Sunderland in the playoffs. Oh, dear. Strangely, though, Stoke have beaten both Coventry and Sunderland by four goals in the last couple of months. That makes no sense at all, does it? And finally, QPR nil, Bristol City 2. Here's the weekly dive into seeing how many accurate passes the QPR players have played. Rob Dickey was the highest with 27. More than half the team failed to complete more than 20 passes. Really not convinced Ainsworth Ball is the way forward, but we'll wait and see. Probably Alex Scott's final game in a Bristol City shirt, Justin. I mean, what a player! He's 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 been a fantastic asset, and again, more on more on his uh, comparisons to other players when we do the second tier awards. But I think you'll struggle to find a player who's seamlessly fitted in as young as he is into this Bristol City team, and he's played for a team who are largely underwhelmed this season, and he still stuck out. I mean, for him to get the young player of the season, um, whatever we agree or disagree, I think is a remarkable feat. He will go on to play for England. He will go on to play top-level football. 
Um, and it's going to be it's going to be good watching his career develop. I do think he maybe needs an extra six months at Championship level just to see what he can do creatively. Uh, creatively, because I think that goals and assists do need to improve. I think it's a very easy argument to make for a midfielder, but certainly, yeah, there's there's room for improvement. But what a player! Yeah, what a player. I agree. I think he will play for England at some point in terms of raw talents at this level. He is one of the best I've certainly seen. I think Bristol City might be trying their darnest to try and get him back on loan for a period of time for next season. Not sure how successful they'll be in that, but it's been a pleasure watching Alex Scott ply his trade at this level. Right, now it's time to look ahead to the most wonderful time of the year. It's essentially our Christmas, isn't it, Justin? It doesn't get any better than the playoffs. And they're here. Five games where it's all on the line. And Justin, this might be the most open playoffs we've had in the time that we've been doing this podcast. Would you agree? I can't disagree. It's an absolutely accurate statement. It's 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 so difficult to see where teams fit because I think if you if you'd have predicted sort of five or six games ago who you'd expect to win the playoffs, Middlesbrough would have been an easy easy bet for for a lot of people because of how brilliant they've been under Carrick. But their drop off in form as has come at the wrong time and it's also identified a lot of weaknesses within this team um, that perhaps will be exploited by Coventry. I think they're very good at doing so. Um, so that, that you know, rubbish is their heavy favourite tag. But then Luton are the form team, Sunderland are the second form, their second team going into this with really good form. Worded that terribly, but nonetheless you get the point. So it just it just makes it such a difficult difficult um yeah playoffs to predict this year we've not got a parachute payment team in there either which is which is really really nice yeah quite refreshing that isn't it you've got four great sides here with four brilliant managers all of whom are in the conversation for manager of the season in their own rights even though the winner of that particular award might be fairly obvious the special thing for me is I would be happy to see any of these teams get promoted there often tends to be a team in the playoffs where I'm a bit like I prefer not to see them get promoted from a purely neutral perspective. A good example is Sheffield United last season. They were a parachute payment team. They'd just been in the Premier League and I'd rather have seen someone like Forrest in the top flight than them. Nothing against Sheffield United. It would have just been more interesting from my point of view. But with these four teams, I'd like to see any of them in the Premier League. Luton are a fantastically run club. It would be a terrific story for them to get there and also Kenilworth Road in the Premier League. Need I say any more? It'd be great to see this exciting Middlesbrough time, Middlesbrough team up there with Michael Carrick in charge. Coventry have been through so much over the past few years. It would be great to see them in the Premier League. And Sunderland plays such exciting football. It'd be amazing for this young side to get there. Plus their supporters have been over, been through a fair bit over the years as well. So, I'd really be happy with any of them getting promoted. But how's it going to go, Justin? We'll start with Middlesbrough v Coventry, the trilogy of games between these two sides. What do you reckon here? Yeah. First, I wonder if anyone's going to stay up in... Any Coventry fans staying up in Middlesbrough? I know because the first game's at home at Coventry, so that'll be absolutely pointless. Yeah. <laughs> do not do not employ me as a logistics guy at your workplace. <laughs> That'd be terrible. Um uh, yeah, this this is a difficult game to, to separate. Um, I, I think Middlesbrough might have too much over two legs for Coventry. I think if Coventry is sitting back and, and not having the ball as often as they as they did in that final game of the season, 
then maybe Middlesbrough might have enough to, to get over them in over two legs. I think there are Coventry have got some obvious strengths in 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 Giocares, Hamer, um, uh, Godden. Their ability speaks for itself, but I think that's just about it. They're a very structured, disciplined team at the moment. Um, but I think Middlesbrough might have a, a few more facets to their game. That being said, form wise, I'd be back in Coventry over two legs rather than Middlesbrough because Middlesbrough have been poor. I don't think Middlesbrough have been playing great and I don't think they've played great since the win uh, just before the international break I think it was against Reading um, even though they've beat Norwich 5-1 I just think that was a lesson of being clinical so I don't think we've seen the best of Middlesbrough since mid-March it's a good time to to, to, to turn it on again um, Akpom is goalless in the last two games which by his standards is a goal drought um, so it's such, a, it's such a difficult one to predict but over two legs You'd maybe fancy Middlesbrough, but then again, Coventry tactically might have the experience of Robbins, might have the upper hand over Carrick. I think most people will fancy Middlesbrough to win this one. However, you cannot ignore their recent form. Two wins from eight since the international break is a massive cause for concern. And they were tearing teams apart before, but it looks as if their foot has come off the gas for some reason. Injuries definitely haven't helped with that, but the lack of real momentum is a problem. Having said all that, if Middlesbrough manage to turn it on, they can quite easily blow Coventry away. When they turn it on, they're incredible and are on a similar level to Burnley. Over the two legs, they just need to turn it on once and that should be enough to get them over the line. Coventry will punish Middlesbrough though if they don't. Victor Jokeres, Gustavo Hamer, these are players who can really hurt them, particularly Hamer, who's been in unbelievable form in the last few weeks. So how's it going to go? I think Middlesbrough will win this one, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Coventry win the first leg and then hold on in the second leg at the Riverside. Let's go to the other game, which is Luton v Sunderland then. How do you assess that one, Justin? I would certainly say Luton are in the strong position because they've got more than 15, 16 players available. Um, Sunderland have ravaged by injuries and that's that's a real issue for them. Um, I think uh, both games ended in draws, uh, which is which is an interesting one because obviously during the league campaign, neither team was separated. Um, I think the reason why I'm swinging towards Luton heavily is because they have the physical advantage. And I'm not talking about pressing and being aggressive. Height's going to be a massive, massive uh, factor in this in this game. You know, playoff games can be separated by set pieces. When Sunderland don't have any fit centre halves available, I think Luke O'Neill and Tri Hume. I think, I think Tony Mowbray pointed out that they didn't have a player over six foot on the pitch against Preston. Luton are quite a big physical side, and they can be very big and physical when they want to be. Um, that being said, Luke O'Neill and his shit housing and his, his aggressiveness adds an extra two foot to his height automatically. So that needs pointing out. But I think Luton's you know ability to manage their game plans very very well. Um, take their chances from set pieces. Tom Lockie has been in good form of late. I think that might edge edge them over Sunderland. That being said, Sunderland's ability to play football, um, it, you know, it could pull Luton apart. It, it, it could. Uh, Sunderland have got this ability to to really again switch it on, um, like Middlesbrough when when um, when they need to look at a second half against Preston, for example. They've got individual quality as well, probably more so than Luton. But Luton as a collective, I'd be backing them. Well, I genuinely think Luton are the team most likely to win the playoffs. 
a few weeks ago, I thought it was between Luton and Middlesbrough, but the latter's drop-off in form is a massive concern, whereas Luton have just been brilliant ever since Rob Edwards came in. Plus, I think the teams who are very solid defensively tend to do better in the playoffs, and Luton are great in that respect. Having said that, I've got a feeling about Sunderland, you know. They're the form team heading into it, and every playoff winner since 2015 has won four games or more from their final six games. Sunderland are the only one of the four sides who have done that. And they've just been playing so well in recent weeks. And the likes of Amadiallo, Jack Clark have both been on fire. So they'll have also got this massive high from getting into the playoffs on the final day. And that momentum could be huge. So for me, I think the winner of the playoffs will come from this semi-final. If it was just 90 minutes... It'd be really difficult to call, but over two legs, I would give Luton the edge just because they've been so consistently brilliant now for months. They don't have drop-offs very often. And over two games, I think they'll probably have the better of Sunderland. I mean, I'm just so excited for this, Justin. The drama, the stakes, isn't anything like it. And it's football at its finest in my eyes. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and EFL clubs have voted through a record new five-year live TV deal with Sky Sports worth £935 million. The previous deal was worth £119 million a season. The new one is worth £187 million a season. It will see 1,000 matches either broadcast on television or streamed each season starting from the season after next. Clubs were told details of the Sky offer on Friday morning and unanimously approved the agreement. 328 of the total 552 championship games will be broadcast each season. That's 59% of games. I'd have liked that percentage to be higher, Justin, but overall, sounds good. Certainly some positives. Um, I, you know, it would have been interesting to see what the streamers would be offering. Um, but nonetheless, I think this is a positive deal for those for the clubs. They get a, an increase in revenue which is a big, big, I imagine, a big factor in a lot of their thinking. Um, as for us, we get quite a few more games as well. A lot, uh, League two, League 1 and 2 get a lot more exposure as well, which I think is quite important because, you know, it's part of the football pyramid. And I think, you know, if you don't give people access to it, you're not going to watch it. And it's the same with the championship. And I think Sky's commitment to the championship is quite telling given... Um, given the boringness of the Premier League, so yeah, this is um, this is a you know, a very good step in uh, the right direction for for football coverage and obviously revenue wise, we're seeing uh, football clubs in the EFL earn what they deserve in terms of the product that they offer. Yeah, I think I, th- I saw a tweet saying that it's the biggest TV deal for any league outside of the big five European leagues, which. Is is great news, really, isn't it? Of course, it's eclipsed by the Premier League money quite a bit, but I think getting that extra revenue into these clubs is really, really important. So this sounds all good from my perspective. I just want more games to be broadcast on telly, if if you ask me. And I think I, I agree with you. It would be really interesting to see what the likes of DAZN and Apple TV or Viaplay or whatever, what they would have been like, because it would have been something different, but... I don't really have any complaints about Sky's coverage. It's been good for a number of years now. 
American financier Tom Wagner has agreed a deal to take over Birmingham. He's getting 24% of shares from Birmingham Sports Holding Limited, Birmingham's parent company, and a further 22% will be transferred from Oriental Rainbow Investments and Achiever Global Group. Uh, Wagner's company, Shelby Companies Limited, will also take ownership of St. Andrew's Stadium. The deal is subject to approval by the EFL and the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Birmingham say the club would remain under the control of the current board until the EFL had approved the owners and directors' tests and contracts had been completed. But this is huge news for Birmingham, Justin. It's massive. It's massive. And I think Eustace was, was, was speaking sort of offhand about the, 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 the potential investment and saying that you know, Birmingham City as a football club needs to grow. It's you know it's in the shadow of Aston Villa and it's not probably depicting of, of how big a football club Birmingham City is. They are a big football club. They've, you know, I've said in the past that they've got a lot going for them. They've got a good academy that's produced a lot, you know, some decent players over the years. Um, and they've got a lot of you know, very passionate you know, supporters as well. It's, it's, it's a very healthy mix for an investment to come in. It's just been curtailed by really bad ownership and a, a, you know, a fair amount of debt. So, you know, if Tom Wagner can see through that and see the potential of the football club, then certainly it's, it's a really, really good step. And what he's got with John Eustace is a very good manager who's very good at, he's, you know, he's tactically, he's, he's been good this season. And he needs some backing. He needs some backing. I mean, the club need players in the summer, a lot of loan players going back to their parent clubs. And there's a lot of old players there that probably need to be moved on. So it's a big, big summer ahead for Birmingham. One that is looking positive rather than negative. I can't remember the last time. We've certainly not had that scenario when we've been producing this podcast. So that's mm. yeah, it's a brilliant step for, for Birmingham. Yeah, spot on. And I was saying not too long ago that Birmingham were quite an unattractive club to buy. And that was definitely the case. It's a club facing huge losses each season. It's got a stadium that's falling apart. The club's not finished higher than 17th in the last seven seasons. And you have to deal with some very uncooperative owners. It didn't have much going for it in that respect. And whoever was taking them over will have to really want to take them over. But it's happened. And that is great news. Hopefully, it's the start of a new era. And I mean, there hasn't been anything to shout about for a long time at Birmingham and it's because of these owners. It's really felt like that's been holding the club back. So this should hopefully mean they're free of any chains and can actually move forward. So it could be an exciting future ahead for Birmingham. Quite interesting. There's a lot of interesting championship sides from American owners. Justin, you've got this takeover, the Huddersfield takeover, Burnley getting investment from JJ Watt. Don't know if you, if you have any thoughts on that. I don't know why you'd invest in football. <laughs> Lose money. Um, maybe this TV deal is a big swing. Um, you know that, that. Whilst it's just been announced that you know a lot of the conversations I imagine with potential investors would have been around this increase in revenue over the next five years uh, when it just when it just come into come into practice. So yeah, that might might, might have been a big swing. But um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Obviously, you've got Todd Bowley at Chelsea as well. It's yeah, it's similar to what it was in the mid 2000s quite a, quite an influx of US investment can't can't disagree with it as long as they treat the clubs with respect and and whatnot it's a, it's a positive well, I know Gary Neville was getting on his high horse at one point wanting about the number of american owners coming over and how they could you know start banding together to do things that we wouldn't like for example Todd Bowley's visions of having a north v south game and stuff like that so it would be interesting to watch well, well it would be interesting I'll, <laughs> I'll give him that but it, it will be interesting to see if this does continue and whether that does start impacting things because of course the EFL is 
run by the clubs, isn't it? They were the ones who voted through the new Sky deals. So maybe they could start banding together and start making the, some the serious English changes. Soccer League. English Soccer League. There you go. It's the future. The ESL. <laughs> um, we're going to fail to pay player and staff wages on time again. It's the fifth time this season that it's happened. They were meant to be paid on Friday morning. That didn't happen. Then the players who are contracted for next season were paid at some point between Friday evening and Saturday morning. However, the players who are out of contract this summer haven't been paid and have been told they'll get their wages today on Tuesday. Wigan chairman Tal El Hamad has promised the late payment of wages wouldn't happen again. That was six weeks ago. What an absolute shambles, Justin. Six weeks ago, and I believe there was a fair amount of pride taken in the... the uh, I laugh because it's just disbelief um, in May's wages or April's wages being paid early. Um, and now we're back into this scenario where there's a late payment. It's a joke, really. And I don't really know what the EFL can do in that just constantly crippling them with sanctions it's clearly not enough it's clearly not enough um but they're, they're, they're sort of strapped between their own regulations the ownership's a joke it's a joke ownership how many times has he said action speaks louder than words the action should be sell the club to a to an owner who is respectful of the uh, of, of the club of the fans of the staff the staff my goodness what have they been going through this season to have as many late payments? You know, these people will be leaving pay packet to pay packet in a season where cost of living uh, you know, in society has just been ridiculous. Um, I've never come across an ownership as disrespectful as this one. I know there are ownerships that have plunged clubs into administration, um, but this one has just been a joke. It's just been a joke, and I, I've got nothing else to say other than sell up there's no point in you being around because you're clearly not fit to to own Wigan Athletic it's embarrassing really isn't it when the owners said this won't happen again I didn't believe them for a second because they made promises before which have fallen through but this is a real kick in the teeth they must have known that there was a chance this would happen again so why make promises in the first place whatever the case if a club fails to play fails to pay its players five times in a season there's got to be some sort of intervention. The EFL has to do something. They're clearly not fit and proper. And I imagine it won't be the last time it happens if they continue to run the club. Also worth saying, I think it will massively harm their chances of bouncing back from League One. Because I think this means they'll have another points deduction. I'm, I'm not too sure about that. I'm not sure if it'll be pointless for it to happen this season now. So if there is another points deduction, it'll probably happen next season. That's not a good start when you're starting on minus three. Wouldn't surprise me if they started on even more of a deficit. Let's talk about some manager news. Vincent Company has signed a new five-year deal at Burnley. It's after he was linked with the Chelsea and Spurs jobs. Well done, Vinnie Cumps. will both agree agree that it's the right thing to do as we've said plenty of times over recent weeks Valerian Ishmael is in contention to be the next Watford boss according to The Athletic the former West Brom and Barnsley boss was most recently at Besiktas and is said to be in the running alongside an unnamed German manager Ishmael Justin I like Ishmael I really like Ishmael um, I think his West Brom spell was okay I think his main undoing with West Brom is his ability to adapt to the players, yeah, he tried to he's tried to persist with that long, long direct style of play. It just it it caught up with him, and the fans clearly disliked it. But I like Ishmael. Um, I think he's a good manager. I think he's a good tactician. He's had a success in Austria. He obviously had success with Barnsley, some success at Beşiktaş, although it didn't end well. 
I think he would be a good appointment for Watford. I think he's shown that he can work with younger players. He's shown that he can, you know, get a team going that he's going in the wrong direction. Um, he can lift the mentality and mood of a football club as well, which he did with uh, which he did with Barnsley, which I think is, is is something that needs to happen with Watford. That being said, I don't know who's the best fit for Watford I, because he might not, they might not be here come October. It's impossible to predict, but I like Ishmael. I've got I've got a lot of time for him. I think his style of play does does uh, irritate a lot of people, but if it's winning football, then it's successful football. That's the key thing. I don't think he would be a good appointment because the big thing for me is the style of play. Watford don't seem to have any idea about what style of play they want to proceed with. And it would be another manager who's got a completely different style of play to the past three managers. It would make no sense in that regard. And I also think Valerian Ishmael is the kind of manager who'd be a good appointment for a side which isn't so talented because it is, you know, it is a kind of a rock and roll style and it is a bit of a shithouse kind of style as well. When you've got players as talented as Watford have got, surely you want to play to their strengths. I'm not sure that strength is hurling the ball up the pitch and then just running <laughs> up as and pressing them as quickly as possible. So I don't think this would be a good appointment. I'll, oh dear, I, what are they doing at Watford? <laughs> Neil Warnock says he won't carry on managing Huddersfield into next season. The 74-year-old admitted he's exhausted and said he couldn't do it for another 10 months. But he hasn't ruled out taking another short-term job next season. He can't bloody help himself, can he? Although I suppose it's a decent little pay packet, isn't it? In transfer news, Brighton have confirmed the signing of Watford forward Jao Pedro for a club record fee. We've spoken about that move before. He'll be great for Brighton, I'm sure of that. Quite an irreplaceable player from a Watford perspective. Reading is set to sell striker George Puskas for £3.5 million to Genoa. He's been on loan at the Italian side who have an obligation to buy if they get promoted, which they've done. So a nice bit of income for Reading, but keep in mind they signed him for £7 million back in 2019. I think he's a pretty good summary of why Reading are in the state they're in. Norwich have confirmed Kieran Dow, Sam Byram, Michael McGovern will all leave their cl- all leave the club when their contracts expire this summer. Danel Sinani, Josh Martin and Timo Pukki will also depart, but we already knew about the last one already. And Sky have revealed a documentary about Burnley's promotion will be coming out in September. It's called Mission to Burnley and looks quite good, Justin. It does. It just annoys me that it's coming out in September. It feels like the... Not momentum, but the the chatter about promotion and whatnot is going to have passed by then because they're going to be playing Premier League football. Um, that being said, it depends how the the documentaries uh, arced. I guess it might not necessarily about be about the promotion, although they'll certainly be involved. But yeah, it's just a shame it's coming out in September. But it's nice to see this sort of coverage. I'd like to see more of it with a lot more football clubs. And I hope this new TV deal that's been agreed between Sky and EFL, we see a lot more of it because. It's what we want. It's what we want to see. We want to see behind the scenes still so we don't get enough of it in the Championship. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to see how it is and hopefully it's more on the, you know, Sunderland till I die end of scale compared to other football documentaries because football documentaries are quite often quite dull. Mm -hmm. As long as we get some sort of insight into what it's like behind the scenes, then I think it'll be a great watch. Of course, 
there hasn't been as many roller coaster moments as there was in Sutherland till I die for Burnley this season. It's been pretty straightforward actually, but I'm sure hopefully it'll be a it'll be a great watch. So for potentially the final time, let's play Lee Camp's Championship Tennis. It's quite simple really. So I'm gonna say a championship player, past or present. Justin then has to respond with a player whose first name starts with the same letter of the surname of the player I just said. So for example, I say Churakpom, he says Alex Scott, and we keep going until someone takes too long to respond, about five seconds, or someone says a player who hasn't played in the championship or if someone says a player who's already been said if we think a player has been said who hasn't played in the championship or has already been said the other player can challenge it however if that player is wrong they lose and when I say play in the championship I mean, I mean since it was rebranded in 2004 I say it's potentially the final time we play this because unless you do well today Justin we're canning this game <laughs> we've actually had listeners get in touch asking us to stop playing this game and I assume that's just because you're so bad at it if you don't put in a good showing today you will have killed Lee Camp's Championship Tennis. Uh, I'm devastated. I, this does get a lot of mentions on, on social. Um, I'm glad it's causing a lot of conversation, albeit for the, the bad reasons. Justin, you can start. I can start. I'm going to go with, I can't even think of a player, Steve Sidwell. Ooh, that's a good one. Sammy Schmodix. <laughs> Sammy Schmodix comes up a lot. He's my um, go-to S. Do you know what? It's absolutely unreal because my mind goes completely blank. It's the pressure of having to think of someone quickly. I can't Goodbye, think of Lee any... Camp's Championship Tennis. We're doing first to three, by the way. You could start again, Justin. Gus Hamer. Harry Darling. Dan Neal. Nicky Maynard. Matt Smith. Sam Saunders. Double S's. Piss off. It's the S's. The S's kill me. This game's a good idea, I think. But it's it's just thrown into chaos when it's so one-sided as this. 2-0. Come on, Justin. For the final time ever. <laughs> Let's just get this out of the way. Um, Lee Camp. Charlie Austin. Austin Trusty. Tommy Smith. Here we go. <laughs> this is a joke, right? Honestly. Um... Anyone. Any player beginning with S. Sam Parkin. Peter Whittingham. Nope. Nope. That's been Lee Camp's Championship Tennis and we're never playing that game again. It's it's a good idea for a game, but we just cannot get it running, unfortunately. And I think in the time we've played playing this, I think this is the fifth time we've played it, I think Justin's won one point. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so hard to think of names. It's, and then the S's come and I get... It's just the S's. I reckon if we listen back to episodes, the amount of time S's have come up, and I've completely gone blank. I need to do my homework with it. It's not going to have no point now, but... Ladies and gentlemen, you'll be glad to know we're never playing Lee Camp's Championship Tennis again. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast. On Thursday, it's time for the Second Tier Awards. Possibly my favourite episode 
of the season where we look back on all the best in the championship this season whether it's team of the season player of the season manager of the season goal of the season all of that and it's all been very amicable so far between me and Justin in deciding who the winners have been which means it's a pretty much a foregone conclusion on who the winner in each category is so we look forward to revealing all of that on Thursday you do not want to miss it so we look forward to seeing you then but otherwise this has been the second tier podcast I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach And a big thank you for listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 